Well, good morning, everyone. That was cool. I hadn't seen that video before. I was like, oh, that's neat. I want to check that out. That's good. Let's just, uh, let's just open with prayer. God, thank you so much for the privilege you give to us to open your word, to learn from you. We pray that as we contemplate marriage for the next four weeks, as we consider uh, what you can teach us, that um, it will be something which is profoundly helpful to every single person in this place, married or not, and every single marriage in this place and beyond this place, that the influence that we carry as Christians into the world will be felt by the marriages and the couples who are outside of this place, who need some good news and who need some wisdom. We pray that you will teach that to us. We're so thankful to be here, God. We're so thankful for your word. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, and I want to read to you from uh, two sections of Scripture this morning. The first one is 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. Yeah, 2 Samuel. Sometimes you got to, what? 2 Samuel. There's a 2 Samuel? Yes, there is. Back there in the Old Testament, it's a good place. I highly encourage you to check out the Old Testament. Uh, Sometimes people think the Old Testament is uh, old. (laughs) Well, you're right, but it doesn't mean it's not meaningful. So, 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Wow. And now Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. Well, a husband and wife had been married for 60 years and had no secrets except for one. 
The woman kept in her closet a shoebox that she forbade her husband from ever opening. But as she was lying on her deathbed and with her blessing, he opened it and found in it a crocheted doll and $95,000 in cash. She explained, My mother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was to never argue, and so instead I should keep quiet and crochet a doll. Well, her husband was touched. I mean, there was only one doll in the box. It meant that she'd only been angry with him once in 60 years. But what about all the money, he asked. Oh, she said, that's the money I, meant I made from selling the dolls. <laughs> Good old marriage. Marriage is an interesting topic. I heard a little kid was uh, saying, uh, why does the bride dressed in white? And the mom said, because it's the happiest day of her life, and white represents life and happiness. And then he goes, Dad, why is the groom dressed in black? <laughs> marriage, marriage, it's interesting, isn't it? Interesting stuff. We're going to start a sermon series here called The Knot, Strengthening Marriages. Marriage is something that we take seriously here at Bemis Point UMC. We offer marriage mentoring. In fact, we insist that everybody who comes through this church who wants to get married needs to go through marriage mentoring. Why? Because it's like giving you a toolbox, a, a good set of tools to help your marriage um, be more likely to succeed. Certainly, Pastor Kristen and I are happy and available to talk with couples who uh, want to talk about issues in their marriage. And beyond that as well, we have access to many good counselors in the area who um, can provide good marriage counseling. But sometimes it's just good to brush up on the basics. And that's what this series is about. We're going to be talking about communication. We're going to talk about priorities. We're going to talk about expectations. And today, today we're going to talk about healthy boundaries. And just a note to you single folks out there who might be thinking, oh, come on, four weeks of something that doesn't apply to me? No, it applies. It applies. This stuff applies to everyone in a certain way. And certainly, you may get married in the future, and if that's not in your future, you still will be interacting with married people. And the better understanding of marriage that you have, the better you'll be able to support and encourage the marriages of others around you. Because whether it's your parents or your siblings or other relatives or friends, somebody around you is married and needs support in that marriage as opposed to lack of support or lack of understanding. So today I just want to look briefly at healthy boundaries in marriage. Boundaries are rules or guidelines, limits that we place on ourselves and on others in order to be able to control what we let into our lives and what we keep out of our lives. And that is our own personal lives and also the, li the, the relationship lives that we are in. If your boundary is too soft, then you don't protect yourself and the relationships you're in from things which would be genuinely bad for you or for the relationship. If your boundary is too rigid, then it 
won't allow you to experience intimacy or closeness or connection with others. It will be something that you keep at arm's length. And that usually happens because for some reason we're scared or we've been hurt or we in some way don't want people that close. A healthy boundary is firm and yet flexible. It lets some things in and keeps other things out. I was, uh, uh, doing, I was, I was doing a, a funeral. My aunt passed away last week, and I, I went this um, past um, uh, Thursday and did her funeral in Ohio. Uh, it was a very meaningful time, and I'm, I'm truly privileged to have been able to do that. While I was there, one of my uh, cousin's husbands uh, had a bad cold, and he was just like, <coughs> and he saw me, he was like, hey, Bill. And I thought, I'm going to draw a boundary. Hi, how are you doing? Slap on the shoulder. I'm not going to go and shake your hand that I just saw you cough into. Why? Because it's not good for me or for the other people that I will immediately shake hands with afterwards. That's drawing a boundary. That's, that's a, a little bit more of a firm boundary. But then it's good also to be flexible at times, allowing people in. Uh, maybe somebody calls you on the phone and they really need to talk. And you know what? It is your favorite show on television. But they want to talk right now. And so, you know what? That's an appropriate place. You can DVR it. You can watch it later on, you know, online or something. But that's a good place to say, all right, I'll listen to you. Now, if they want to talk to you for like three hours, it's appropriate to draw a boundary. And say, well, you know, we've been on the phone for 45 minutes now. Maybe it's, um, maybe can, I, can we get together later? So there's flexibility, but also firmness there. We're using the knot as a metaphor for marriage because it's just, it's a good one which, which speaks about um, people loving each other enough to say, we're going to tie our lives together in a covenant of love such that we can both be held tightly and lean on each other through thick and thin. We're going to use this knot and we're going to draw some boundaries around this knot so that we can have a healthy marriage. We're there for each other. We will be there for each other. We will anchor each other and not become separated in the process. God's intention, friends, for marriage is that we covenant together and then we draw some boundaries. We make the knot, we tie the knot, and then we protect the knot. A healthy boundary around the knot, well, metaphorically, might be to say, hmm, some things I don't want near the knot. What would be an example? Knives. I don't want knives near the knot. I don't want fire near the knot. I don't want knot pickers near the knot. Not nitpickers. <laughs> knot pickers. People who will come along and say, well, I think this knot could be undone. Well, yeah, it could if you let it be monkeyed with. No knot pickers near the knot. We're going to draw some boundaries. If you want to strengthen a marriage, it's crucial to have those healthy boundaries. Firm at times, flexible at others, not too rigid, 
and not too soft. Sometimes people object. Aren't boundaries limiting? Don't they exclude some of the possibilities? Yes, you are correct. They exclude some of the possibilities because some of the possibilities are downright deadly. And frankly, boundaries make things better. I was in a pickup soccer game once in which there was literally just a little goal that was kind of in this huge field. Just a little goal here and a little goal here. And somebody said, well, where are the boundaries? And somebody else said, oh, there's no boundaries. Just, you know, we'll go for the goal. Well, I mean, within like five minutes, people were just kicking the ball way off to the side. And two people would go and they'd be messing around down there trying to get, you know. And it, the rest of us would be like, you know, we are about two football fields over here. This is where the goal is, but you're having this little private game over here. It was boring. Having boundaries would have made it a better game. I don't know if any of you watched the Kentucky Derby last night. That's something that my family always does because we lived in Kentucky. We have an affinity towards that. And um, so uh, Always Dreaming was the horse that won yesterday, ridden by John Velasquez, the jockey. And I just want you to know that the Kentucky Derby has boundaries. It's not simply the fastest horse. It's the fastest horse over a mile and a quarter. It's not the fastest horse for 100 yards. It's not the fastest horse for two miles. It's the fastest horse on dirt, which happened to be a very sloppy track yesterday. It's the fastest horse at Churchill Downs. It's the fastest horse on the first Saturday in May. Well, why can't it be on other Saturdays? Well, it could, but, you know, if you had the Kentucky Derby every Saturday, it wouldn't be that special, would it? And if you had it at every racetrack, that wouldn't be so good. So we draw boundaries because it makes it more special. It makes it better to have limitations. Now, that is profoundly countercultural. That limitations make things better, that is wow. Go out and preach that on the street and see how much people love you for it. But it's true, it's true. And this is one of the things the Bible teaches us, that limitations, boundaries make things better. If you want to strengthen a marriage, you need to take a good, hard look at boundaries. And we're going to do that just by looking at two passages quickly this morning. The first is that wow passage from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. A very negative lesson around boundaries. It's the infamous story of David and Bathsheba. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. That's not just the army, because it says the king's men and the whole Israelite army. The king's men are David's special fighting force. And David sends them out with Joab, his lead general, and they go down and they wipe out the Amorites and they besiege a city named Rabbah. But where was David? But David remained in Jerusalem. David stayed home. David was perfectly capable of leading the army. He was still a vigorous guy. But he decides to let other people do his work. He's alone. Those who would 
have the ability to call him to accountability are not there. He's hanging out by himself at the palace. He's vulnerable to temptation. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Do you have people around you that you know you have to be accountable to? Might one of them be your spouse? That would be good. And also perhaps others, a good friend, a good friend who will tell you the way it really is when they see you starting to slip. Do you have people who, if you decided to even begin to think about doing anything inappropriate with someone who's not your spouse, that they would call you on it? They'd be right on you like white on rice, baby. They'd be right there. What are you thinking? I can see it. I can see it. I see your eye wandering. I see you lingering. People who will demand transparency. Now, this is not, this is not everybody. This is not like, hey, I'm just going to find somebody out there who's going to demand full transparency. No, this is a close friend. This is somebody that you trust. Somebody that you have already said, all right, look, get in my face if I've done something wrong and tell me exactly what you think. And I will not push you away and call you a jerk. Somebody who's that close. We don't have very many of those folks in our lives. I wonder if you don't have someone like that, it's okay to seek somebody out and say, I would like you to be that person for me, that person who provides accountability, someone that you have to answer to. David doesn't appear to have anyone like that around on this spring evening. Well, the Bible says one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Stop! Like, that's your moment. That is your okay, instant response. Turn away. Change direction. He's looking where he shouldn't be looking. He's peering into somebody else's private space. He's crossed a boundary by using his high palace roof to take advantage of others. And in that moment, he should instantly say, whoops, I'm, nope, I'm stepping back from the wall here. I'm not going to check this out. I had a seminary professor, a wonderful, wonderful counseling professor, Burl Dinkins. He said that once in a while he'd be at a party and he could sense that there was a person who was pursuing him. When that happened, he gripped tightly to his wife. He held on to her arm and he said, stay close to me because I love you. He knew that if temptation was there, it was better to draw that boundary and to allow his wife to be his anchor in that moment. He was drawing a firm boundary. He was remembering what Romans says, the wages of sin is death. Friends, nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think 
I'm just going to sin a little, and then I'll sin a little bit more, and that'll lead to a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then that'll tank my life, and then that'll be the death of a relationship or the death even of perhaps myself. Nobody wakes up and thinks that way. Instead, people drift into sin. David is drifting into a sinful moment here. He's left himself vulnerable. He's up on the roof at night. He's looking where he shouldn't be looking. And he's just going to keep drifting in that direction until things go very, very awry. The woman, the Bible says, was very beautiful. I'll bet she was. I'll bet she was hot. And guess what? I figured this out sometime in high school. There are so many good-looking people in the world. There really are. I'm trying not to look at any of you right now. (laughs) You're all so fantastic-looking. There's so many good-looking people in the world. Guess what? You don't get to have them all. That's right. You don't get to go there. And it's so good for you. It's so good for you. The woman was very beautiful. It's a breaking of your covenant to think that you need to check out just how beautiful or how handsome that person really is. To think that you need to know, wow, they really are good looking. I I think I need to investigate that a little bit more. No, you don't. From a distance, say, wow, praise the Lord. God has blessed that person with great outer beauty. I celebrate that, and I'm standing back here, and I'm holding on to my spouse, or if I don't have a spouse, I'm saying, that's so good, they have a spouse, I'm not that person, whatever. Now, if you're single and they're single, you might say, hey, how you doing? That's okay, that's okay. But if there's already a covenant, a marriage, a knot, then you need to step back. It's pride that says you need to look a little longer. I know what's good for me. God's given me something different than this person, but I need to cross the boundary and check this person out. Friends, we help ourselves when at the very beginning, at right when it comes into play, we say, oh, let's just step back from that right there. That is so much easier to do than when you've let it roll for a while. And now you're really in, you're like, oh man, I gotta pull back here. I gotta stand back. That's much harder. This is, of course, the challenge of pornography, which is a huge problem, not only for men, but also for women. The statistics are rather shocking for both. And it's real, friends. It's real here in the church. We've got some good programs that deal with that. If that's something real for you, then you can reach out. We can help you with that. That's a reality. Pornography is saying... I want more. What I have is not enough. What God has given to me is not enough. 
You don't need to snap your head around and get one more look at the person you are passing in your car right now. You really don't. And it's really dangerous. Of course, how many advertisements have there been of people running into light poles, etc.? Because they're trying to get one more look at a beautiful person. Really? You need one more look? Really? I challenge you to be driving down the road, see a completely amazing looking guy or girl, and just be like, wow, praise the Lord, I'm not going to look at them. That's a powerful moment. It is. You might not be able to do that on your own, but God can do that in you. You can say, Lord, help me now. And he will. He will. You don't need to linger in a look until you catch their eye. That's starting to flirt. That's crossing a boundary. That's a pride thing. I'll let them know, just with a little look, that I'm attracted to them. I'll see if they smile back, and then I'll know if I still got it. We're so full of it. That little flirting thing, you don't need to do that. You don't need to make that hug just a little bit longer so that they'll get the message that you really like hugging them. They don't need that message. And you don't need to give that message. Well, David sent somebody to investigate to find out about this woman. Yeah, that was real smart. Do you have any wingmen type friends who'll do this kind of thing for you? Who'll do a little investigation for you? Guess what? They are not your friends. They are not your friends. There are stupid things that people do that you don't want to be involved in. That's one of them right there. Anything that would undermine another person's marriage relationship even in the most tiny way, don't be involved. Don't bear your soul, if you are the married person, more to your friends than to your spouse. And don't be a friend who listens to someone complain about their spouse and be that person who reassures them, yeah, you really are getting gypped by that person. They really are a loser. This is what Henry Cloud says. All good marriages need outside support. And I'll just add here, and this is why this is a pertinent topic for single people as well as married people. All good marriages need outside support. So we need to seek out the right and appropriate sources. These should be people who are not only safe, but whose influence on us strengthens the marriage bond. Find people who are for your marriage and want to help you grow together. Avoid those who play the game of poor you being married to that bad person. You don't need those folks in your life. Well, it says then that David sent messengers to get her. She comes to him. He sleeps with her. She goes back home. She conceives and sends word to David saying, I am pregnant. Be sure your sins will find you out. Now he's 100% off the rails. He seeks her out. He brings her in. He just goes for it. Bathsheba probably didn't feel that she had a choice. I've heard some people, you know, preach a sermon on this saying she was in the wrong for 
bathing where she did whatever. I mean, people didn't have like huge compounds back then. David was the person in power. David was the person in the wrong. Bathsheba's husband worked for David. He was, he was a king. He was a despot. He could do whatever he wanted, including killing people. She was very much not in the power position here. God knows what, if there were any elements of complicity on her part. But I think for us, for we who don't know, the, the blame in this situation squarely lands on David's shoulders. One sin leads to another, and this whole series just goes worse and worse as he tries to get out of this by inviting Uriah, her husband, back. He tries to get him to sleep with her so that the baby will be seen as his, but he won't do it because he's an honorable guy. He says everybody else is out in the field in the army right now, and they don't get to be with their wives, so I'm not going to get to be with mine. And David finally has the guy killed. I mean, this literally leads to death. And the baby as well that is eventually born dies as well. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Exactly. That's right. You reap what you sow. The second scripture, just very quickly, Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Are you sincere with your spouse? Is there any deception? Is there any hiding? Is there any lying? Hate what is evil. You know what's evil? Disrespect. Disrespect is evil. Verbal boundaries should not be crossed. Speaking to each other in nasty ways that you would be ashamed if other people heard. Taboo topics like bringing up the D word in the middle of an argument. Divorce. Backbiting. Nitpicking. That's all disrespect and crossing of boundaries. And of course, obviously, physical boundaries. Any kind of physical action against the other person, abuse, in any way is crossing of a boundary and extremely inappropriate, extremely wrong. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Honor your spouse. The boundaries you draw show honor to both your spouse and to the other spouses around you. If you're a single person, you, you honor another person's marriage when you do not do anything that would undermine that marriage. Want other people to succeed in their marriages. And want your own partner to succeed. I remember being in college and there was a professor and uh, his wife had uh, just gotten a doctorate. He had, he had had a doctorate. She just got a doctorate and, and she was in charge of the education division. And I said to him, does it like make you a little bit, I don't know, jealous that she's in charge of the education division and she has a doctorate now and she's equal with you. Do you have any? He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, look, anything that's good for her comes back as good for me. If I didn't have a doctorate and she did, that would be good. I would celebrate that. Can you celebrate that in your spouse? 
Can you say, I want you to succeed. I want good for you, even if it eclipses my area in some way. That is saying, I'm wanting a good boundary between us. It's focusing on the good qualities. And finally, be devoted to one another in love. No throwing the other person under the bus. I want you to know that at the funeral, Pastor Kristen did a a great thing. Well, first of all, she locked the keys in the car. Okay, she did. All right? And, and, but instantly she took responsibility for it. She didn't say to me, what? I thought you said you were standing at the trunk. I'm standing up here. We didn't have a key fob. It's an old car. Anyway, she, she just, I, I did it. Wow. I did it. And, and when she walked in and other people were saying, what's going on? She didn't go, Oh, we locked the keys in the car. She didn't say that. She said, I, I locked the keys in the car. My mistake. All right? Guess what I didn't do? When we walked in and other people were like, keys locked in the car? Yeah, I, I didn't say, yeah, Kristen locked the keys in the car. I didn't say that. I'm the one that said, yeah, we locked the keys in the car. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to honor her. Now, Kristen hates calling triple A or whatever. So she was good to me. She took responsibility. I was good to her. I called triple A. And I didn't say to them, eh, my wife locked the keys in the car. I said, yeah, keys got locked in the car. You guys come out. Sure, we can help you out. That's nice. Don't tear your spouse down behind their back. Build them up. What she did for me was a good thing. Sometimes the best sign of love is a strong boundary. That's essentially what the marriage covenant itself is. A huge boundary line that you make a covenant promise not to cross. You want to strengthen marriages around you? Help people strengthen their knot. You want to strengthen knots? Draw strong boundaries. Now here's a topic that just goes on and on. I mean... We haven't talked about money, time management, children, jobs, theology, churches. There's a million places, even within the marriage covenant, that you can draw a boundary. There's tons of resources out there. Dr. Henry Cloud is a good place to start, but he's not the only place. Let me just end with this. Grace is abounding from God. You can resist, not on your own power, but because God gives it to you. God can pour out his strength into your life such that you can support and love your spouse and you can support and love the marriages around you and be a positive influence in their lives. The Holy Spirit is in every person who has asked Christ into their lives, and the Holy Spirit is stronger than any force in this world, including your own propensity towards sin. Spirit is stronger than that. You are not a victim. Ask, and God will help you. And it's appropriate to seek out help from your church family, from friends, others. That's appropriate, too. Let's pray. God, thank you for the many knots in this room. And thank you for those that are soon to be, and thank you for those that will be in the coming years, and thank you for those that have been. 
and we are beyond them at this point. Thank you that we, whether single or married, have the ability to strengthen our not or the not of others. Thank you that we don't have to do this on our own. Thank you that as we take communion this morning, we are reminded that you give us the food for the journey. You bless us, you strengthen us, you meet us right where we are in our brokenness, and you say, come, eat at my table, and I will give you the strength. God, I pray for the marriages in this church. I pray that you will strengthen them with healthy boundaries. I pray for the single folks in this church. Comfort, encourage, give wisdom. Help them to be part of the community web that strengthens marriages. Thank you, God. We love you. Amen.